Let's pray together. Lord, your promise is that when two or three are gathered in your name, you are with us. Lord, open our eyes to the King of glory who is in our midst. Open our hearts to your initiative in our life through your word. Give me grace as I preach. Lord, and give each of us uh, humility to hear and be transformed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How do you influence people? How do you have a lasting influence in people's lives? I've been thinking about this question specifically because I'm in the middle of doing this spiritual exercise where I've been looking back on my life story. And it's an, an opportunity for me to kind of see what has God been doing in my life? What's he, uh, what gifts has he given me? Um, what experiences has he given me? And one of the main questions it asks is who are the most influential people in your life? And I was thinking about that question and there was a handful of people that came to mind and they all have a common denominator. These people that influence me. And so how do you influence people? How do we live lives that influence people? And I don't know if you've heard about them, but in the last decade there's been a rise of people that literally their job are to be influencers. Now, so if they were to meet you and you would say, what do you do for a living? They're like, I'm an influencer. Um, so if you don't know what that is, that is somebody who is, has massive amounts of followers on social media. And that's what they do for a living, is they post things on social media. Companies have found them, they've realized that they have influence, and so they say, hey, uh, CoverGirl says to this woman, hey, will you uh, market our products? And so the lady posts a video on YouTube of her saying, I got this new CoverGirl makeup, here's how you put it on, and literally she can make like $300,000 her YouTube video that she uploads. Pretty crazy. Or, hey, we're all going to this music festival. This idea of influencers. Now, what type of influence is that? What platform is that using? That's using the platform of social media. And the influence is trying to get us to buy stuff. Um, so, my question, though, is a deeper influence. And I've been shaped by a question that I heard a couple years ago by a missionary who was saying that he, he works in India and they're doing a church planning movement there. And his, uh, his dad, who runs the organization, said this, that he has what they call the 100-year test. That they're always asking the questions, what are we doing now that will actually matter in 100 years? Now, probably those who are influencing us to buy, you know, different products, that might not be something that's going to last for 100 years. But what could have that lasting influence? How do we influence people? And so I've been curious about this idea of influence. So I went online and looked up who are the most influential people in history. And Time Magazine came out with a list of the 100 most influential people. You know who is number one on the list? That guy. Jesus, yeah. Um, and so Jesus clearly knew what he was doing, seeing as he is the most influential person in human history. So what did he do? What was his platform for influencing the world? One word. Relationships. Jesus invested in relationships. He said, and as, in our, as we see in our Great Commission, as well as we'll see in our text today in Acts, this idea of making disciples is the number one way to influence people for generations to come. And so, go ahead and throw out this definition that I have of disciple making. It's investing in an intentional relationship to help someone grow in a relationship to God and others. You see, relationships are at the core of it. So it's you intentionally saying, I am going to invest in you 
to try to help you grow in your relationship with God and others. It's a basic definition. And here's my main point. Go ahead and throw up that next one. Intentional relationships have generational influence. They really do have generational influence. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not Jesus, so how can I have that type of influence in people's lives? Well, today we're not going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at one of his disciples, Paul. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Acts 18, starting in verse 1. We're going to be looking at Paul's ministry and what he does when he goes into the city of Corinth. And it's interesting, Paul was number 34 on Time's most influential list, so not too bad for the Apostle Paul. Um, So what we're going to do is look at his ministry at Corinth in terms of how do we, because we're in the middle of this sermon series on uh, discipling generations. How can we disciple people? How can we have an influence? So the, the three things we're going to look at are where do we make disciples? So the place that disciples are made. Second is how do we make disciples? So the plan. So practically, like how do you actually do it? And then third, what do we do when it gets hard? So that's the perseverance. So we're going to be looking at place, the plan, and the need for perseverance. And so Paul is going into the city of Corinth. To give you a little bit of background on Corinth, it was one of the biggest cities in the region. It was one of the commercial centers of the world. It was an influential city. And what Paul did is he went into cities because he knew they were influential places. It was like the heart of a region where if you invest in the city, the, the people will scatter throughout the region into the smaller towns and influence those towns. And so cities are influential places. Jacksonville, interestingly I learned this week, was the, is the number, one, uh, number 12 largest city in the country. I don't know if you knew that. Pretty fascinating. And so this is an influential city. So that's the whole idea of, you know, discipling people, investing in people, planting churches. If we can plant churches in a city like this, it can have influence throughout North Florida and the rest of the country. So that's what Paul knew. So he went into Corinth. So where does he start? If you wanted to influence a whole city, where would you start? Well, here's where Paul started. It says that he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his, with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So there was a persecution of Jews. Priscilla and Aquila were probably baby Christians that were kicked out of Rome. And they came and they were tent makers, it says. He was the same trade that they were and he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And so Paul spent six days of his week making tents. Now, the first place is the workplace. That's the first place that we see Paul. And he invested in these two people, Priscilla and Aquila. He invested intentionally in that relationship, in the workplace. And I think the first witness in the workplace is the work itself. So if you feel like, well, how am I making disciples? I'm spending all this time working, you know, 40 hours in my week or spent just making money. Well, start with the work itself. I think Christians should be known as people who do excellent work. I would imagine that Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, they made great tents. So they started there, but then Paul also invested in those relationships. And by pouring into those two leaders, we see later in this very chapter that they travel to Ephesus and they meet a guy named Apollos who was an early evangelist. And they come alongside and disciple this guy Apollos who becomes a preacher throughout the region. And then we see them later on, they become leaders in the church in Rome. And so Paul's investment in them have a ripple effect 
And they then, in turn, invest in others. So who has God placed in your workplace? If you work 40 hours a week or more, what relationships has he placed there that you could invest in? My father-in-law was telling me, he's a lawyer, and he was telling me that he intentionally tries to get together with the different lawyers in his office and goes out to lunch with them. And he was talking with one of the guys who, right now, his uh, private life's kind of a mess. He's went through a messy divorce, and they were just talking, and the guy just mentioned, hey, you know, I'm going to the Maldives for this work trip, and I'm going to be staying in this room and with this married lady, and my father-in-law, who's a believer, was kind of like, do you, do you think that's the best idea? Like, to stay in the same, to share a room with the married lady? And the guy was like, yeah, I haven't really thought about it. You know, maybe that's not the best idea. Um, and, and they talked about it, and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get a separate room from him intentional investment could have generational impact. Think about that. The impact it could have on that lady's marriage, what impact it could have on their children, the fact that he just invested and spent time with them has ripple effects. So the second place we see Paul goes, so he starts in the workplace, and then it says that Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, and then Paul started doing ministry full-time in the synagogue. So they probably arrived with some sort of financial gift that allowed Paul not to have to do tent-making anymore. But we know that Paul invested heavily in these two men, Silas and Timothy, specifically in Timothy, because we have a record of a little discipleship manual of Paul discipling Timothy in these letters that he wrote back and forth with Timothy. So First and Second Timothy are Paul investing in this young man. And Timothy became the leader of the church in Ephesus. Again, Paul's investment in Timothy led to Timothy investing in the life of the church. And there's this great uh, verse that we see in 2 Timothy 2.2. It's 2.2.2. You can remember that. Go ahead and throw that verse up. I want for you guys, this is a little pop quiz. I want you to think about the idea of discipling generations. How many generations are in this one verse? So, and what have you heard from me? Paul saying, what have you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses? Entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. How many is that? I see three. Is it three? It's actually four. Look at that. Yeah, four. Paul's investing in Timothy, who Timothy is going to entrust to faithful people who will then also teach others. You see that idea of making disciples is investing in intentional relationship that has generational influence in people's lives. And so we see the workplace. We see he invests in the church. So who are the people that are sitting next to you in the pews or somebody that's been on your heart? How could you invest in them and come alongside them? The third place that we see is that Paul then uh, gets rejected by the Jews. So he gets kicked out of the synagogue and he says, you know, your blood be on your heads which is another really harsh way of saying, I've preached the gospel to you. Now you are responsible for either rejecting Christ or accepting him. And then where does he go? He goes next door to this guy by the name of Titius Justice. And his house was next door to the synagogue. And so that next place is the neighbor. Now it wasn't Paul's neighbor. He was probably living with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. But he knew his neighborhood. He knew his surroundings. And he saw that there was a person of peace there next to the synagogue. And through his investment in this guy, Titius Justice, that becomes the church, the meeting place of the church, the launching pad for the ministry to the Gentiles. 
throughout that region. So again, we see an investment in a neighborhood that has an investment in the, the overarching city. And then the last place is this. That after he's kicked out of the synagogue, interestingly, it says Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. And so Paul invests in this guy Crispus, and he then, we see, he believes in the Lord and his whole household believes in the Lord. So the fourth place is in the family. That the family is ground zero for discipleship. Discipling our spouse, discipling our children, discipling our grandchildren, seeking to disciple as best as we can our adult children. Who in our family has God placed in our lives that we can invest in? And I wanted to share this stat that I read that I thought was um, speaking to you men in the room. Um, it says this, that if a father goes to church regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. 66 to 75 percent of their children will attend church if the father attends, even if the wife doesn't. And then in contrast, if a father does not go to church, but the mother does, on average, only a third will attend church. And then they shared another statistic that I just thought was sad. But Father's Day, Mother's Day is one of the most attended, uh, apart from Christmas and Easter, it's the third most attended uh, church service. Father's Day is the least attended church service, even more than all the, the Memorial Day weekends and all these types of, you know, long weekend holidays, Father's Day, because dads are like, yeah, it's my day. What do we want to do? Come on, let's go fishing, right? But it's that leadership in the home, that discipleship in the home that has cascading effects on the next generation. And it's just intentional relationships that have generational influence. And so for you, where has God placed people that you could invest in, that you can get intentional with? And if you've never been discipled, you're like, how am I supposed to disciple somebody else? I've never been discipled myself. You may have to ask somebody. And it's awkward, but, but just walking up to them and saying, hey, would you be willing to, I, I don't really understand my Bible. Or I, under, I don't understand how to be a, a Christian leader. My dad wasn't a, a believer, and so I don't know how to lead my family. Can you help me? And reach out to them. I'm sure most believers here that have been walking with the Lord for a while would jump at that offer. So how do we disciple someone? How do we practically do it? So we've had this whole sermon series on discipling generations. I want to give you a few tools that you could use to disciple other people. So this is the plan. We've talked about the place, which is basically everywhere that God's placed you, there's opportunities for discipleship. The plan is this. The first is what I'll call the invitational approach. Paul invited seekers to come and hear about his teaching at the temple. So that's like the large group gatherings. That's more the programmatic things. So who could you invite? Co-workers, neighbors, uh, to come to Alpha. Or gather some people in your church or in your neighborhood and do Rooted or a life group or go through the healing prayer class together. Or be a youth leader. Invest in the next generation, literally the next generation. Or Work in the nursery and just pray over the babies. Or work with the children's ministry. Find some way that you can invest in this type of invitational approach. That things that are already happening, jump into them and invest. But then the second is what I'm going to call the relational approach. This is not programmatic. 
It's about people. Paul sought out people, individual names that show up through the Bible that had large impacts in the life of the church. And I want, want to just share three things that Paul did that these, when I seek to disciple somebody, this is basically what I've done when people have discipled me. This is what they've done. So go ahead and throw up those three things. Um, go, you can move past that slide. First is talk. Ask them about their, themselves. Get to know them. Ask questions. Listen for what God's doing in their lives. So what is your story? What are you passionate about? What are your callings and giftings? What do you sense God's doing in your life? Everybody loves to talk about themselves, right? Am I right? So it's an opportunity to just talk with them and hear about them. What's stirring in their hearts? The second thing is to study. To learn about what Jesus is doing. Or learn about following Jesus together through reading and discussing the Bible. Just simply opening up the Bible. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, I think this is really fascinating. When he went into Corinth, you would think, you know, Paul is a very learned scholar. Where did he go and where did he share that he was able to plant a church that grew? He says, I, when I came to you, brothers, in Corinth, this is 1 Corinthians 2, I did not come to proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And oftentimes we're freaked out about reading the Bible with somebody because we're afraid that we're not going to know the answers. We're not some wise person that's trained and seminary trained. He said, I didn't come at all. Even though he had that training, he said, I didn't come with that training. He said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Who is Jesus and what has he done? That's all that Paul came and he had massive influence in this city. And so, if you were to sit down with somebody and talk with them and say, can we open the Bible together? Start with Jesus. And somebody doesn't even have, a, have to be a believer to do this. If there's somebody in your workplace or a neighbor that um, is asking questions, you could sit down with them and say, you know, would you like to get coffee sometime? You know that I'm a Christian. We could just read a couple of my favorite passages or we could read a couple of stories about Jesus and talk about it. Would you like to do that? And most people will probably be like, okay. And you just talk about it and let them ask their questions and you share your questions. So talk, study, and then lastly, pray. Pray with them for their needs and pray for them during the week. Paul in 2 Timothy, when he's writing to the, his disciple Timothy, he says, I remember you constantly in my prayers, day and night. Talk, study, pray. Does that, does that sound really difficult? Could you remember that? right? Like five years from now, think, somebody wants to grow in their faith. What could I do with them? Well, if I talk with them, study and pray with them, then I'm making disciples? Yeah, you are. You can do that with your children. You can do it with your coworkers. You can do it with your neighbors. You can do it with your spouse. No program, no homework, only investing in an intentional relationship. And if you're interested in learning how to do this, learning more about how to do this, you want to do this, let us know. Reach out to the one of the people in leadership. We can walk alongside and help you through the process as snags come up. So you may have a place that so you're like, okay, I think I've got some people in mind. You may have a plan, but you also need perseverance. In our text, we know that at some point during Paul's ministry in Corinth, he gets discouraged. He comes up against opposition in the synagogue, and it seems that he's wanting to leave. 
and saying, I'm done with this. And all of us have been in that place where we've been investing in a relationship or some sort of ministry and we're like, you know what? Is this making any difference at all? And this is what Paul has a vision in the night where Jesus comes to him and says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now there's mystery there because it doesn't tell you which people. Paul doesn't, he doesn't say to Paul, go to this person, this person, this person. He just says, if you invest in people, I'll get the work done. I'll help people grow. I'll give you influence and I'll influence them. And the promise is that whenever we're sitting down with somebody and we're seeking to make disciples, that Jesus is right there with us. So we're never going into a discipleship situation alone. He is with us in those moments. So if you're in the middle of doing discipleship and it's starting to feel stale or serving in some way, it's starting to feel stale, or you did it in the past and you're like, does it make any difference? Persevere. Stay at it. Don't give up because God is with you. A number of years ago, I was talking with my grandmother um, and she shared that when she had her first grandchild, who was one, my, the oldest cousin in our family, she was really excited um, about exposing him to art and culture. She's this genteel southern lady. And uh, he's more from a blue-collar family, so they like sports, pickup trucks. Um, and so she was like, I want to introduce him to art. And so she would call him up and would come over to the house and she would take him to do art projects and would take him to art galleries and the children's museum. And, and it was this great little time that she had to invest in, in her grandson. And one day when he was about eight years old, she called and said, hey, you know, can I, Andy, uh, uh, called my aunt and said, can I come pick up Andy? And she's like, sure. And then my aunt called back and was like, hey, you know, uh, Andy's got a friend coming over. He doesn't really want to go do the art thing. And my grandmother was like, oh, okay. And she said from that time on, she just thought, you know what? I just don't think my grandkids, they don't, do they really care about this old lady? Does he really care about art? And so she kind of checked out and uh, didn't invest. And then it wasn't until 20 years later when he got married uh, she gave him a gift and he wrote a thank you note uh, and said, hey, uh, grand grandmother, thank you so much for the gift. And I also want to thank you for investing in me and teaching me about art. No one ever in my childhood thought to spur on that interest in art. And I always had an interest in it. And I really appreciate that you did that. My grandmother was sitting across from us with tears streaming down her face. And she was like, he, it did matter to him. It was significant to him. And it made me grieve for her, but it also made me grieve for my cousin and all the rest of us grandkids that because of my grandmother's discouragement and feeling like, do I have anything to offer? She kind of checked out. And so I would encourage you, don't give up. Keep making disciples. It's messy work, but it has generational influence. And I saw that because this past week when I was doing that spiritual exercise and was thinking about the most influential people in my life, there was a handful of people that came to mind. And I thought, you know, these guys aren't the most gifted preachers. They're not theologians. There was one common denominator that they made time for me. 
there's a handful of men in my life that just made time that they'd get together and want to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And then we'd open the scriptures together and then they'd say, Dan, can I pray for you? That was it. It was simple. But intentional relationships have generational influence. So what I want to do now is just listen. Just spend a minute in silence giving you an opportunity to listen to who's a person that you believe God has placed in your life that could either invest in you that you're like, I need to be discipled before I can go do this work. I need to be encouraged. Pray that God would give you a name or a face. And then if you feel like I'm ready to step out and invest, ask God, who could I intentionally invest in? So let's listen. Come Holy Spirit. You promise to be with us in this work. Show us who you have for us to invest in. Lord, invest in us so that we may invest in others. Give us courage and wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen.